Um, I'm going to start us off with a devotion, and this is my usual book. This is By Faith Alone, these devotions by Martin Luther. Um, today's devotion is from Galatians 3.21. Does this mean, then, that the laws given to Moses contradict God's promises? That's unthinkable. And the title of this is Keeping Law and Gospel Separate. Luther writes, whoever knows how to tell the difference between the law and the gospel should thank God and consider himself a true theologian. In times of temptation, I certainly don't know how to do this as I should. But you can keep these two separate by placing the gospel in heaven and the law on earth. Call the righteousness of the gospel heavenly and divine. Call the righteousness of the law earthly and human. You should distinguish the righteousness of the gospel from the righteousness of the law as carefully as God has separated heaven from earth, light from darkness, and day from night. You should consider one as light and day, the other as darkness and night. If only you could separate them even further. So when dealing with matters of faith and conscience, you should exclude the law. Let it remain on earth. But when dealing with how we are to live in this world, you should light the lamp of the law. So the immeasurable light of the gospel will illuminate the day and the lamp of the law will illuminate the night. If you have a conscience terrified by a sense of sin, you should think to yourself, while I'm on earth, I must work. Just as a donkey should work, serve and carry the burdens given to it, so my body should obey the law. But when I ascend to heaven, I leave the donkey with its burden on earth. My conscience doesn't have anything to do with the law, works, or earthly righteousness. So the donkey remains in the valley, while the conscience climbs with Isaac up the mountain. It knows absolutely nothing of the law and its works. Instead, the conscience only keeps its eye on the forgiveness of sins and Christ's righteousness. Whoa. Um, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for the weather, the beautiful weather today, but all the weather that we get, just all the ways that it reminds us that you are pouring blessings out on us. Uh, so send your Holy Spirit to be with us today as we study your word. Um, guide and lead us in uh, our discussion that all of it might be pleasing to you and glorify your name. We ask it all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Opening reflection. So before we jump into the Bible passage and all that kind of stuff, we're challenged with this. What are the main things that you depend on to get you through your day? We're talking about things mostly. And think of a time when one of these failed and how did that alter or transform your day? So what, any reflections on that or thoughts about it? What are some of the things that you depend on every day? Your vehicle. Good night's sleep. Okay, Dave said a good night's sleep. <laughs> Lynn said your vehicle. Yeah. What else? Electricity. Electricity. I know, this guy right here. I've, I've got a cell phone almost in my hand almost all day long. My calendar's in there. My contact list is in there. I can access the church database with it. That's my thing. I've got to have my phone. Coffee. What else? Coffee's a good one. That Coffee. That yeah. One. yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me about a time where one of those things failed. Well, living out here in kind of in the country, at least when we first moved to Bentonville, um, electricity was um, 
kind of sparse as far it, it just went off and on all the time with Carol yeah. Electric. Um, but we had a couple of times where it was off for more than a day, and you don't realize just how much you you depend on electricity until it's failed and you don't have a backup generator. Yeah. And when it's cold or even when it's hot, I mean, the thunderstorm in the summertime can be just as devastating as, as it being cold in the winter. Yeah, sure, sure. I, You know, one for me, I, I tell you, the phone is one of my big ones. Early on, um, when cell phones were a relatively new thing, um, I relied on my cell phone as my alarm. That was what got me up in the morning. And um, I remember when there was a problem, and I think it was an iPhone, but it was a problem with the time shift, you know, when daylight saving time started. And it did not wake me up on time for church. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and that pretty, you know, it was one of those things where I woke up barely in time to make it, but everything was hectic from that moment forward. Uh -huh. And, and it's just that failure of that one thing just cascaded through everything the rest of the day. What else? Something else that has failed and had an effect on your day? Uh, cars. Cars. Yeah, that never happens that you wake up and have a dead battery or a flat tire. Or... Uh, the strange thing was we, we were dr uh, driving over to listen to uh, our son Christian play in Harrison at a uh, music concert. And we drove over there separately from him. He was on the bus. And we were driving down a hill over on 412. And all of a sudden, the car just stopped. Well, the engine just shut off. Don't know what it was, never did know what it was, but we had to walk about a mile or so to find, find anybody close. Oh, wow. And uh, the funny thing was the car behind us, the same thing happened. Oh, Ooh. it's <laughs> like an electromagnetic pulse. I think I think it was a, a dark matter issue. Dark yeah. matter. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So how did that affect the rest of the day? It was horrible. We missed the conversation. <laughs> well, as you might imagine, I mean, the, the focus of the passage we're looking at today is about dependence on, on things, but then more importantly, about dependence on God and, and, you know, what that looks like and kind of how God pulls us back to understand that we are dependent on him for everything and that he provides for everything. So we're looking at, at Exodus chapter 16, and I want to set the stage for all of this. Exodus 16 happens after the Exodus. I mean, the Exodus is kind of the, the pinnacle event of the book of Exodus, but you know, we've got another 15 more chapters or more to get through. And so there's, there's more stuff that happens after God brings his people out of bondage. And this particular event, chapter 16, it happens about a month after the Exodus has happened. So they've come across the Red Sea, they've seen God's power and everything, and then they get out and they're in the wilderness um, and, and things aren't going so smooth. Let's just put it that way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read Exodus 16, just so we have kind of the whole story. And then we'll kind of look at different chunks of it as we go through. Um, now, I'm reading from Christian Standard Bible. Um, and uh, as we talk, I've got um, English Standard Bible in front of me. But I like Christian Standard because it's kind of approachable in the way it translates. So chapter 16, the entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. 
The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us out into the wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they'll follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, this evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he's heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain about us? Moses continued, the Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and all the bread you want in the morning. For he's heard the complaints that you're raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he's heard your complaints. As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned toward the wilderness, and there in a cloud, the Lord's glory appeared. And the Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual, according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece, and all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, and set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you'll gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. And yet on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they didn't find any. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days' worth of bread. 
each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed, was white, and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Two quarts of it are to be preserved throughout your generations so that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses told Aaron, take a container and put two quarts of manna in it and then place it before the Lord to be preserved throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. They used a measure called an omer, which held two quarts. Here ends the reading. Um, before we jump into it, thoughts, questions, observations, anything that popped out at you as we read that? Yeah, Lynn. It struck me again that... Uh... They said, we'd rather be back there with our bellies full and lots of food and die at the hand of the Egyptians than to be out here and depend on the Lord. Yeah, and? That sounds like us. Well, it was kind of a romanticized <laughs> view of slavery, wasn't it? Yeah, because they had something to eat. Right, exactly. But it was, it was, oh, man, when we were slaves, we had all the meat we wanted. We had all the bread we wanted. And you know, it was not that. <laughs> it, it was you had the, the meat that they gave you and the little bit of bread that they gave you and that's what you made do with but you know we always had this romantic view of what the past was like maybe mm -hmm. um the good old days seeing was you know they were missing completely the fact that god had they had god had complained i mean they let me see back up they had complained to god about this terrible oppression of being enslaved and god said cool i'm gonna get you out and he got them out, and then the first thing they did was complain that he had gotten them out because they liked it so much there, apparently. So, yeah, good observation. What else? It, it Pastor, on uh, verse 13, Yeah. When, when, when the quail came and covered the, the camp, is that the meat? Is that what they then? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I just so, make that assumption. That... Yeah, so the cycle was you'd have quail in the evening, so they would have meat. And then in the mornings, you had this manna. Um, and I don't think it says it in here, but manna, by the way, <laughs> is Hebrew for what is it? So mana <laughs> is how you say in Hebrew, what is it? And that's what they named it. What is it? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the meat that he was talking about. What else? And then, and then the reference to the spoiling and the maggots. Yeah. Is that... Is that referencing like the uneaten meat or the uneaten manna or both? Or I think it's the, the manna specifically. And um, because then they say the manna melts away when the sun comes out. So I was just right. trying to understand. Right. Yeah. But so what is it in manna? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, well, the question kind of is what are the physics of manna? Okay. <laughs> because apparently whatever they gathered stayed good for them through the day. If they didn't gather it, it would melt on the ground. And if they kept it too long, it would go bad, except on the Sabbath, right? Yeah. And so the deal was you could, on Saturday or on Friday, you could gather twice as much and it would keep overnight for you miraculously. 
um, and you'd have enough for the Sabbath day when you didn't have to go out and gather, which you couldn't anyway because it wasn't there. So, so is is the idea that what you didn't gather spoils? Is is that God's way of basically saying I I provide you just what you need and no more? Yeah, yeah. It's forcing them to to rely on Him every single new morning. Yeah, but that that food's not going to be there, so you know you better rely on God to yeah. to provide that manna. Got it. And in fact, I'm going to I'm going to say hold for a second cuz that'll come up in the second question. Okay. And we're talking about <laughs> Okay, sorry. That's okay. So, looking at the first three verses, right? They set out from Elam. Um they went out from Elam the 15th day of the second month. By the way, Hebrew um the, the Jewish way of of numbering months and counting things and stuff like that. Um everything's always inclusive. So, we're we're talking about I mean, it, it makes sense to us, too. We're talking about six weeks or so after they came out, after the exit. Um, what specifically was the complaint of the Israelites? What were they fussing about? No food. We got no food. Yeah. We, we used to have food, and now we don't. Um, well, I was looking on Wikipedia just before the class started about the okay. Sinai Peninsula. Yeah. And evidently there's there's um hang on a second. Sorry guys. Sorry. Um but evidently there is not much growing uh in that area of the southern Sinai peninsula peninsula. It's mostly mountains and desert. Yeah. So I could see where they're wondering where in the world are we going to get food because if you look at the logistics of it um, I was reading something about how do you feed a million people? I can't remember how many boxcars on a train it takes every day to supply that much food to a million people. Right, right. You see, I'm, I'm going to find you a picture of the wilderness of Zen. Think about it that this is six weeks in, so they had to carry enough food out with them to last those six weeks before they started grumbling and complaining and God provided manna. Right. You're talking, yeah, and, and the numbers are right. I mean, you're probably talking about a million people, um, which is just bananas to think about what's involved in feeding that many people. Well, I think it's, I think you can even say it's a little more than that, because what was it, 500,000 men? Yeah, five or 600,000 men. I mean, right. you know, women, children, and all of that. And then, that. You, yeah, you had, you know, multiple children for a family. You're pushing 1.5 million real quick. Right. Right. All right, bear with me. Because it's not like they had birth control, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see here. Well, the question on the screen says, "Do we ever have similar complaints against God?" Yeah, and I, I, th I think we do. I, I think we, I, I think we tend to have a tendency to complain about. A um, I think you're absolutely right about that. Let me, I'm going to tweak something here. Um, oh, why did it go to that one? That's all right. Um, let me find you a good slide here. All right, hang on. See St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> I found the slide and then I started the wrong place. <laughs> so there's two of them I want to show you here. Um, uh, 
Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm getting there. From current slide. Okay, there you go. Can you see that yet? Exactly. There you go. All right, so what you're looking at there, why are we going there? Don't go there. This is the wilderness in Israel, okay? Um, that's a pretty good picture of what it looked like where they were. You got it. Can y'all see that on the screen? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is what the ground looks like. And, and it's an interesting thing to think about because, you know, think of this as the context for the for Psalm 23, too. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me to, um, you know, pastures of green, of uh, good food and all that kind of business. This is what a pasture of good food looks like in Israel when you've got sheep. Those little bits of grass and stuff like that. So, you know, think about wandering in that kind of space for 40 years and wondering where the heck are we going to get food from? Where is it going to come from? All right, let me go back to the right chair here. All right, we back to the question? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the question is, do we have similar complaints about God? And, and the complaint was, he's not providing for us. He's not feeding us. And we do complain about all the ways that he provides for us sometimes. I, I'm not getting what I need. I'm not getting it when I need it. I'm not getting exactly the thing that I think I need. All those kind of things that we complain to God about or complain about God. We don't so much complain to him. If you listen to... If you listen to the media, the uh, the complaint is the government's not providing for oh, us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can have a whole conversation about idols and the government, couldn't we? Right, yeah. I think, what is it that Luther said? What, what is it to have a God? A God is that thing to which you look for, for all good and all provision and all comfort. Um, and, and for a lot of people, that's, it, they've replaced it with something else. Sometimes it's the government, sometimes it's, you know, their bank account balance, you know, whatever it might be that we look to for comfort and for provision. And often it is not God. Uh -huh. So from the text, and this is verses four through 12, when the Lord kind of gives his plan to, to Aaron and to Moses. What are God's different purposes for sending this miraculous food from heaven? Why is he doing what he's doing? To make them depend upon him okay. and to make them trust him. Yeah, okay. So, so part of it is to, to provide for them, right? I mean, that, that's on the most basic level, it is provision. It's, okay, I'm going to feed them. But um, there's more to it than that. Um, and that's the, you know, to make them, what was it? How did you put it, Lynn, the second part? Make them trust him that he make will provide him. the next day what he said he would. Yeah. Restore their faith. Okay, restore their faith. So so he wants to reorient their thinking, right? Get them, get them remind them of where this stuff is coming from. Um, I was looking for a specific section here. Um, we're looking at 4 through 12. Okay. So the Lord said to Moses, this is verse four, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, um, which is a, just a terrific image of how God pours out his blessings, right? I'm going to rain bread from heaven. And the people will go out and they'll gather a day's portion every day. So there's provision. 
And then here's the second part of it, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, not for nothing, but a couple of seconds ago, actually, I think it's like chapter four, God had basically come to the people and said, hey, I'm going to be your God and, and y'all can be my people and I'm going to get you out and all that kind of stuff. And, and all the plagues and all that stuff was about convincing Pharaoh and the Egyptians that he's God. Um, but at some point, the, the Israelites, too, said, cool, we're going to do what you say. We're, we're all in, God. Awesome. And now he's going, fine, then let me give you a little test here and see how well you can follow instructions. And it's not going to go very well. Now, I think some of this comes back to this distinction between law and gospel, okay, that we talked about in the devotion. The law is gather a day's worth of stuff. And the consequence, if you go beyond it or don't follow instructions, is you're going to have some stinky stuff in the house. It's going to be gross. Um, and it's not going to go well. Follow God's law, things tend to go smoothly or, or smoother anyway. Um, if you do it his way, it's good. That's a law thing. Now, this is not about salvation. He's already brought them out. So, so the salvation thing has already happened. But, but he's trying to remind them of who he is and what he's done for them. Um, and I love, you know, frequently in this, what you hear is God's going to provide and, and you're going to remember not you're going to remember who's in charge or anything like that. You're going to remember who brought you out of Israel. That's what the event that keeps getting pointed back to is. You're going to remember Who's the powerful one who brought you out of slavery? You're going to remember who God is. Thoughts on that? Provision and testing, right? Those are the two things that are going on. And to let them and to keep, well, it's, it's the same part of the testing, I guess, but uh, to remember that it's the Lord's doing. Yeah. God's yeah. doing Instead, this. He's going to reorient their faith. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Any other thoughts on that one? We're halfway through time-wise and we're halfway through question-wise. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> this is a longer section then. All right, so from 13 to 30, um, 13 begins, you know, this is basically the prophecy now is coming true, right? In verse 13, an evening quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was this flake-like thing. So from words or phrases in the text, what are the different lessons that God taught his people about dependence in this section? And this is, this is really, this is where the rubber meets the road now in terms of how this is playing out. Well, I think Lynn was correct when he said that this is the big issue of trust. Mm -hmm. And he has, he has, it's a, it's a little bit amazing to me that this is only 30 days after they after these million people crossed the Red Sea. Right. And they've already lost their trust in God to provide them food at, after rescuing them from the Egyptians. Yeah. How quickly we forget. He's saying, I love you deeply. Yeah. And you can trust in me. I am your God. Okay. So And he, and he will have to reiterate that several times over the it's, next 40 years that's exactly right well and over the next several thousand years really <laughs> yeah really really to uh 
to uh, to twelve thirty p.m. April twenty second, two thousand twenty one. <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what else? What other lessons? So one of them is I'm I'm God and I love you and I'm going to provide for you. What else? Well, eighteen said you know, but uh, when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered had nothing left over. Uh, and, or sorry, whoever gathered much, nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had had no lack. Yeah. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. You know, that thing where, you know, we, we live in a country with people that, you know, we have such, well, this is globally an issue too. We have people that have so much that they could spend my salary a year or a day and not run out of money. And you have people that have literally nothing living on the streets. Yeah. And then know that God will provide what you need if you right. trust in him. Right. I think that's an important lesson um, that, that he's teaching them here and that obviously plays out for us today. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing is he does it whether you get that or not. Right. I mean, right. Whether you understand that or not, he's still doing it. Mm -hmm. um, he sends rain and he sends his blessings on the, on the, on the you know, the righteous and the unrighteous. The yeah. What else, Dave? I, I was just going to say, I, may, I don't know if this is meaningful or not, but he, he does still make them work for it too. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like it just showed up in baskets, you know, at their feet, right? right. Big loaves right. of bread or that the meat didn't show up in pots, right? He could have done that. But yet the quail came and they would have had to have processed the quail to be. Right. Well, and have you ever tried to catch a quail? It's, it's, it's a, <laughs> yeah. they're skittish little things. Yeah. Let me tell you what. Yeah. And the, <laughs> The bread they had to, you know, they had to go collect the manna. They had to get right. up and go and right. collect it. So it's not That's like a, it was just laid at their feet. He made right. them work for it too. That's a good point. That is good. something that struck me uh, again in this is the magnitude of God's provision. Okay. And the amount of it, and the number of years of it. Yeah. And then when man disobeys him the amount of stink that would have been yeah well, you yeah and, and you would know who your who neighbors which of your neighbors kept it too oh yeah <laughs> awesome yeah you'd be like where's that come oh the johnsons oh oh Johnson's. john man what are you doing <laughs> I, I think peer pressure would have come in pretty quick here hey you people yeah. do it right oh that's awesome <laughs> I don't know. What does that say about how God calls us into community? <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that part of it is iron that we're walking iron. together. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it struck me that God just didn't provide them bread, manna bread, but it was good bread. It wasn't yeah. just unleavened bread. It was, they said it tasted like it had honey in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were going to eat bread every day for the next 40 years, the same piece same type of bread yeah you would get tired of it but evidently it was sweet enough to the taste that, that it was good yeah i wouldn't want to eat wonder bread for the rest of my life exactly <laughs> this is good stuff this is pepperidge farm baby <laughs> all right what else what were other lessons that god was teaching his people um, about dependence specifically do what he says yeah okay do it do exactly what he says don't gather too much don't gather uh too little i mean just do what he says follow his orders okay well and then it also it's interesting because he kind of because very quickly they would have learned anything left over is going to stink 
Right. But then he kind of contradicts that rule to them and says, hey, no, but on this one day, it's going to stay okay overnight. Right. So you, and you're not going to be able to gather, so you're going to have to gather twice as much. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I'm testing you this way and that don't keep any left over, but then I'm going to test you again to trust me that it's going to be okay the next morning on this yeah. one day. Yeah. So pay yeah, attention. And, and this kind of gets back to what you're talking about at the beginning, Dave Ferguson, about you know what are the what are the mechanics of manna and how in the world is it that if you keep it overnight tuesday night things are not going to go well but if you keep it overnight friday night you're in good shape yeah <laughs> and, and i think you're right it's it's trusting god's promise even when it doesn't seem to make sense to us mm-hmm. to to depend on his goodness and his provision and that he will do what he says he's going to do even if you can't make sense of it or don't understand how or why, right? So, and I think how or why is an important thing. How is it that God saves us? I'm going to take this to like a bigger plane. How does he save us? He saves us through death and suffering and blood and, you know, whoa, I can't, that doesn't compute. And then more to the point, why like, why does he do this? And it, it's, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son to save us. And he did it because he loves us and he cares about us in spite of the fact that we can't follow simple rules, like don't gather too much of this stuff every day. Um, and, and so the, the lesson about dependence and trust is, listen, I'm going to do this and you're not going to understand how but I can tell you why, and it's because I love you. And, and that sort of orients our thinking about what our relationship with God looks like, you know? Got a question. Yeah, go ahead, Lynn. The, the Ten Commandments had not been given yet, right? Right, that's correct. So the Sabbath law had not been established yet. Oh, interesting. And God already is setting up mm-hmm. the need. Well, I'll go all the way back to creation. God rested on the seventh day. Right. Right. We need to rest once in a while. God sets a pattern, and right. now he's setting this up so that by the time the third commandment comes around, they've already got an exposure to what this means. That is a really good point, yeah. Um, something that, unless oh. they had, unless had, had any of the patriarchs practiced the Sabbath rest? Well, um, I, you're right in saying that it was there in, in Genesis. Okay, Right. So in, in the creation account, it's already there. Um, yeah, which P.S. Moses wrote down for us. So, you know, whatever you want to do. And was that. reiterated when the third commandment came on, right. on, on online. Right. But here there's, it is. Already there's some context playing out, but it's not been made like official yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I Something just crossed my mind. Yeah. You know, quite recently in confirmation, we came up, uh, we're talking about original sin, right? And that even, even a you know, even Arwen, uh, you know, from minute one was sinful by nature, <laughs> yeah. you know, despite the fact that she's the cutest thing to ever been in existence, <laughs> but we were, um, we were talking about that. And why, why is that, you know, why, why is it that, you know, this one thing that Adam and Eve did way back when, um, you know, has led to all of us being simple. But if we look right here, you know, this is a, an instruction that's just as simple, if not simpler than, Hey, don't eat from that one tree. Yeah, it's hey, you pick this stuff in the morning. You pick, you eat it all, and then I'll provide the next day. And they still can't follow it. 
Right. And it just goes to show that, you know, we as humans, we can't even follow the most simple instructions of, Hey, that one tree over there, don't touch that tree. Yeah. Don't, don't touch it. Who I want to touch that tree now, you know? <laughs> so you know, I wonder, I wonder if, if we're any different than Israel in this, I wonder if, if we're accumulating too much, does our accumulation of things stink? <laughs> wow. Mm. Yeah, what does that look like? Dave, I think you might be on to a sermon there. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> really good. Idea. Yeah, I'm a preacher. <laughs> that's terrific. Yeah, that'll preach. Yeah. yeah. All right. So here, this is where it gets more uncomfortable. And that is, okay, we're talking about the Israelites, those crazy people. But what can we learn about how we depend on God and all of this? That's the second half of the question here. Guess we don't need life insurance. <laughs> well, I'm going to save a lot of money then. <laughs> also says something about being stewards of what God provides. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. That, that we see the giver of the gift, but then we also therefore respect the gift. And receive it with thanksgiving. Right. Okay. But ultimately everything every good thing comes from god right and so we need to remind ourselves that what we have is not ours it's god's so so there's a whole stewardship series in this too we can right. talk about you know how we care for the things that god gives to us and i think it's interesting because that's a that's a, a bit of a twist because so much of what we've been talking about is the israelites and how how bad they were at following God's instruction. But the flip side of that in terms of dependence then is also recognizing that truth that you just said, Lynn, that everything is a gift from God. And, and I think the aha moment is when we realize that whether we like it or not, whether we want it to be that way or not, we are dependent on God. That, that there's nothing that happens to us that happens outside of God's provision and oversight and direction. So if you wanted to say, I'm not dependent on God, good luck with that. <laughs> it's not going to get you anywhere because you wouldn't have life without God. You wouldn't have, you know, the, the food that you eat is dependent on God's, you know, ordering of the, of the planets and the sun so that the sun comes up when it does and it goes down when it does and the rains fall when they do and the grain grows and, all, you know, all these things that happen, happen at God's direction and oversight and provision. And, and I think the aha moment is, like it or not, believe it or not, you actually do depend on God. And when you can reorient your thinking to understand that, suddenly you can see God in a right way to understand that he's the creator and you're the creature or as one of my seminary professors put it god is god and i am not mm -hmm. <laughs> right thoughts on that a verse in psalm 16 starts out the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods Ooh. so depending upon god is reinforced by the fact that if you don't have him yeah you're only going to get in worse trouble yeah it's a good luck with that kind of scenario right right good point what else any other thoughts 
I think there's a reason, maybe we'll get into this in the next question. There's a reason that God uses bread or bread-like substance here. And it's going to connect later to how he accomplishes salvation. Um, so the last section of it, what was so significant? So there was a section in the end here where God tells Moses and, and Aaron, gather up two quarts of this stuff and hang on to it through the generations forever. Presumably it never went bad either. But what was so symbolic or so significant symbolically about keeping a jar of the manna in a holy place throughout the generations? Why, why did God instruct that and what was the big deal about it? A reminder of where it came from and who provided it. Okay. It's a, so a reminder of where it came from, who provided it. You know, it was, it was, you know, here's, here's my Bible and here's my jar of manna. So I always remember that too, right? What else? Anything else that you see significant about that? Jesus is the bread of life. Oh, now you're making the connection to John. <laughs> so so here, here I think is something interesting, and that is, and it kind of reminds me, you know, we did Doubting Thomas in worship recently, right? What was it Thomas said? He goes, he goes, unless I see the wounds in his hand and put my fingers in the wounds in his hand and put my hand in the wound in his side, I'm not going to believe. So in a sense, the, the jar of manna that's being kept in the holy place is for Thomas's. So that they can, you can say to somebody, hey, listen, this was the coolest thing. We were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, it was incredible. And God fed us every day. Let me show you. This is the stuff he fed us. You know, you pull out a thing. But that's the stuff. And, and it, it provides like a concrete thing, which I think for a lot of us is very important to be able to lay our hands on something to understand God's blessings. And so God knew that there would be people like that. And he goes, hey, hang on to some of this stuff so you can show it to them. Prove it to them. In so, 19, 1979 or 80, whenever it was, Mount St. Helens blew up. Uh -huh. We were in Seattle and we and got some of the ash. I went out and collected a jar of ash from Mount really? St. Helens. Oh, wow. Now, 40 years later, I still have it. Uh -huh. And every time I see that jar of ash, I remember that event. Sure. Mount St. Helens exploded and was an amazing thing to witness and yeah. view. Yeah. So this jar of manna is to provide for them. We still have this. Right. We still can see what God provided for us. It hasn't turned to maggots. And look what it reminds us of. Right. God did this awesome thing for us for 40 years. What a cool thought that it's not so much an awful thing. It's about what the thing represents, right? Mm, so, yeah. so by having, in your case, a jar of ash from Mount St. Helens, that brings the entire episode back for you to remember the details of it and to remember what happened and what it was like to be there and all that kind of stuff. And it, yeah. that I think is a really good connection because this is kind of the same sort of thing. It's not the jar of manna. It, it's what it represents and the story that it tells. And, and, you know, the manna itself brings the whole story back to the front to say, let me tell you about how God provided for us. Yeah. Other thoughts? And Christy and I were driving the other day, and we were thinking about our time that we spent in St. Louis. 
what did we learn there? You know, what remembrances do we have of that? And then our time in Arlington, Texas. And what, what do we remember from those times? And now here, what do we remember living here in Arkansas? Right. And I think that's, when you look back at your life and you see things that, it, it's that remembrance that just encourages your faith and trust to grow more and more as you see those things that happened in the past. Yeah. And for your kids that haven't experienced that yet, talking about it with them about what happened when you were kids and we were growing up. Right. It's so important to remind them how God provided for us, even during dark times, you know, wherever we are. That's terrific. Yeah. It is. It's so often that, that, you know, we don't see God's hand in it necessarily until later. It's, it's always 2020 hindsight when we look back and go, Oh, now I see what God was doing. Um, and being able to share that with our kids that gives them that context and that understanding of how God works, I think is really powerful. It's like share, it's like sharing the jar of manna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing that came to my head while you were talking, Dave, is how often our memories of the places where we lived and things like that revolve around food. <laughs> you know, because as soon as you said St. Louis, one of the first things that popped into my head was toasted ravioli. Emo's pizza, yuck. Um, <laughs> you know, but but some of that, I mean, there's there's like food things that anchor a lot of our memories of places and stuff like that. That's and, true. That is here's another example. Manna is one of those. All right. What else? What can we learn from this? I guess is the question. Then, How do, and you kind of answered that, Dave. But any other thoughts? All right. So here's the final reflection then. Connect Israel's total dependence on God's provision in the wilderness to your total dependence on God today. In five words or less. No, no, no. Just <laughs> well, I think that's a good reminder to us that uh, we need to remember or be reminded, maybe even a good kick in the seat of the pants, that it isn't us. It's God. Right. And if it weren't for him, it would not be a good ending. Okay. Good point. Yeah. So it's just a reminder that we are totally dependent on God as, we, as they were. Other thoughts? Well, I think something that increases at least trust, if not faith too, is having those experiences and and remembering them, um, so that so that you remember that you have a God who loves you and cares for you, yeah, and will not abandon you, even when things get rough. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And and being able to see God's hand in all of it, and then to share that with other people is a powerful testimony. Right. Good point. Okay, any other thoughts? Just an observation, I think this is kind of cool. If you, if you look through the Old Testament and how the Israelites remember and talk about the Exodus, um, one of the cool things about it is there's language in the way they pass this down from generation to generation so that in as they... Um, 
remember the Exodus as they celebrate the Passover, the way they talk about it is as though it happened to them, even generations removed from it. So in the Passover Seder, for example, when they talk about how God brought his people out, the language that they use is always kind of first person. God brought us out of slavery. God did this for us. Um, and I think that's a powerful way to kind of read these things and to understand them, to know that the things that God did for the Israelites, he also does for you. Um, and, and to know that these stories, although they're removed from us by thousands of years and by many, many generations and by you know half a world, still are things that God does for me too and does for you. Um, you know, it's been said that the, the two most important words that came out of the Reformation are for you. Um, and, and I think that's sort of embodied in the way that the Israelites and the way Jews remember the things that God did in history, because they always remember it as happening to them too. Um, and so all this stuff it has relevance for us and it reminds us of how God loves us and how he cares for us and how he provides for us. And I think that's pretty powerful which makes the celebration of Christmas and Easter and all the other church festivals significant yeah. on a regular basis. Sure. We know the Christmas story and I've heard it again and again, but that's okay. Yeah. We need to hear it again and again. Right. That's exactly right. And I would add communion to that too. Absolutely. Yes. I agree. Yeah. I agree. The yeah, it's, just, it's just too bad that so much in our society, Christmas is all about getting the latest, you know, PlayStation version. Yeah. Right? Cultural Christmas. That's right. That's right. They missed the most important gift of all. Cool. All right. I think, yeah, that was it. Um, I'm going to stop sharing that screen. Um, that wraps us up. I, we got a few minutes left. Any other comments or things you all want to talk about before we wrap up? I, I just have a question. As you, as you look at the 40 years in the wilderness before they entered into the promised land, it was all of that in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula or... Yes. It was, yeah, pretty much. They, they were so they were in that miserable environment for 40 years, yeah, yeah, rough environment through which they were provided for. And you know, the, there's language about how the shoes didn't wear out and the clothes didn't wear out, and you know, God carried them through all of that through 40 right. years, right? Okay, yeah. How would you like to wear the same pair of shoes for 40 years? I've been doing that for the last 10. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've got tennis shoes getting close to that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> See, you buy good quality and you can do that. Uh, hey, I got a pair of shoes with some duct tape around it. <laughs> I love it. I got shoes that my grandfather wore. <clears throat> there you go. That's awesome. All right. Um, one of you want to volunteer to, to close us out with prayer? Seeing no hands, he decides to do it himself. <laughs> Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are uh, the giver of every good gift, and, and we pray that you would help us to always remember um, our dependence on you, but more importantly, your goodness and your love for us. Um, we're dependent on a God who loves us and who cares about us and who forgives us and who draws us to himself, and we thank you so much for that. We thank you for um, these um, stories of the Israelites that have been preserved for us so that we can see how you cared for them and we can see how you love them. Um, and we know that it is for us as well. 
be with us as we go out into the world, as we, uh, as we interact with people, that they might see your light shining through each one of us and everything that we do. Guide and lead us in all of that, we ask, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.